The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your new or existing home is one of your most important assets, yet too many people rely on sites, shows, and tips from people who are not in the real estate business when making important decisions. It's time to get real and trust a professional. This is Real Real Estate Today with host Deb Tomorrow. In this series, you'll learn about making smart decisions when it comes to buying a home, selling a home, or even staying in the home you're in. Now, here is your host, Realtor Deb Tomorrow. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Real Real Estate Today. I am your host, Deb Tomorrow. Back, uh, I don't know if you tuned in last week. We did a encore episode last week. I was out of town, and so now I'm trying to remind myself of where I am. I kept saying, what's the show called again? Uh, so I'm here with uh, Karen Rastel, who is the best damn letter in the state of Indiana, and she is going to help remind me and help me get back in the swing of things. How are you doing today, Karen? I'm good. I hope I can help remind you. It's been a it's been a long week without you. Uh, well, you know, town held it together, so. Barely. Barely, <laughs> Barely, exactly. I was just telling Karen how I spent the last 10 days without a comb. That was the one thing. I always forget to pack one thing, and it was a comb. But I muddled through. I used the back of a hair clip and... Um, All as well. Decided not to care a whole lot, so I did comb my hair out today, so it's a little... Paying the price. But anyways, we're here to talk real estate, but no, not really. Uh, Because the first segment, we always kind of talk about some things that are off topic. So let me introduce everyone who is in studio today. We have Rachel, who is our associate producer. She has the face of an angel and the voice of a sailor. So we typically don't let her on air. But today, we're going to throw caution to the wind. I have allotted her a certain number of curse words. And which that may change because also joining us in studio is Karen's son. Would you like to introduce Jack? Yes, my son Jack is in the studio with us today because school starts tomorrow for our area and there's no child care. So he has promised to be very, very quiet during this. Whole I'm sure thing. he will be, but I'm a little concerned that it's the last day of summer and this is what he gets to do. He was excited. He thought the puppies would be here, but they're not. No. So The puppies went to camp last week while we were out of town, and they learned to swim, and they went boating, and they had little puppy life jackets, and there are pictures and video, although I do not have my hands on the video yet. I did have to dem- demand proof of life every night, so the people that were watching <laughs> had to send me proof of life every evening because I was a little concerned about them uh, swimming in a lake and whatnot. Um, but anyways, no. So you'll have to come over to my house afterwards and uh, get some puppy time. But are you watching the Olympics this week? I am. Yeah? I am. Favorite sport? Uh, right now it's swimming. <laughs> Go Indiana Hoosiers. Yes. We have at least two, right? Lily King and Cody. Miller, Miller. Mm-hmm. one. And uh, there's the guys from Purdue that are from Indiana. Okay. As well. Okay. Uh, well, I'm a little behind on Olympics because when we got home from being out of town, Eurus's son had apparently stopped by the house a few times with, I think, some friends because some chairs and mm-hmm. there's some beer and some 
chips and salsa in the fridge. Um, but he changed the settings on the TV, and we can't figure out how to change it back now. Oh. So I'm like, um, Caleb needs to come over tonight because I'd like to watch gymnastics. Um, so hopefully we'll get that. Well, I thought, you know, keeping up with the theme of uh, the Olympics that I wondered, you know, there's been so much talk about the Olympic Village and the housing of the Olympians um, and how they weren't ready. Have you seen some of those articles? No, I have not. So, so like, I think last week the Australian team showed up and uh, and the coaches said, yeah, no, we're not going to let our athletes stay here. It's not done. There was, you know, plumbing toilets that didn't work and uh, electrical issues and it wasn't safe and it was a hot mess. So they put all the athletes in hotels for a while and I think they finally came back and moved in. But you're trying to house, I think, 17,000 athletes is a little crazy. So there's that housing issue. But then that sort of led me down. I was telling Rachel before the show, I said I kind of got led down the rabbit hole because I started thinking about, you know, the Olympic Village and housing for the athletes. And then I started thinking about what happens after the Olympics. They've built housing for 17,000 people. Mm -hmm. What becomes of that? So then I was doing some research and then it kind of led me back to like past Olympic Villages and and a little trip into history. And I'm waiting for my mom to actually text me back to finish the story off. But I don't think she's going to text me by the end of this segment because she only texts every five days or so. Um, But I wanted to share a little bit of what I've, a little history lesson of what I've learned. So first we start with the Rio Olympics that we're in today. What they did was they built a a neighborhood, uh, 31 tower blocks. So it looks like 31 buildings. It's called Pure Island and uh, was built for $880 million. Uh, And after the games, I know that's a lot of money, isn't it crazy? After the games, this was meant to become Rio's newest community, which was intended to be a bustling legacy of the 17-day sporting event. But there's one thing that's missing, and that's residents. Developers say they have sold just 240 of the 3,600 apartments that go for between uh, $230,000 and $925,000. I think their goal at this point was to have sold about 1,000. Oh my gosh. So they're not even a quarter of the way. And not only that, but buyers are actually returning the apartments. Apparently you can do that um, because they're put off by Brazil's economic crisis. And uh, Brazil has been going through a pretty hard time lately, but was not going through uh, a hard time when they won the bid for the Olympics. So they kind of won the bid having an economic boom and then things went south. Um, But uh, people are returning the apartments because they don't want to be the only people living, you know, one apartment, one apartment, and building of you know five hundred or something. Um, so and it, it is, and I think Rachel's going to put up a link to some of the articles that I'm pulling this information from because I did think it was pretty interesting. Um, you know that the municipal government removed thousands of people from their homes um, for this whole Olympic process, not just for the Olympic Village to house the athletes, but also to clear away for new transit routes. They've expanded subway lines and bus lines, um, trying to make uh, transportation easier. But here's a woman who's 58, and she's in court fighting for compensation uh, because she was removed from her home, uh, where her home was destroyed by the Olympic Park. Uh, And she says the worst is that it's all for just two weeks, for an event that lasts for two weeks. Oh, my gosh. It's crazy to think about that level of, you know, 
destruction. I hate to say destruction, but I mean, to these people whose homes it was, it was destruction. Well, this is a sad part of the Olympic. Right. <laughs> Olympics. Well, so then what I thought was interesting, so then again, leading me down the rabbit hole, I'm like, well, what about other Olympic villages? What's happened to them in the past? So I found this really interesting article. It's got some great pictures. If you click on the pictures, you can click through and kind of see examples. And it talks about Olympic villages past and present. Um, and the last one was in London, and that was in 2012. And there were three 3,300 hotel-style apartments that came with TV, Internet access, and a courtyard. And the athletes had access to a plaza where they could meet, a food hall that was open 24 hours a day. Um, and since then, since 2012, the apartments have been transformed into about 2,800 homes. And there's another 2,000 that are planned for the site. So this site seems to be doing pretty well. They're actually owned, the units are owned by separate, uh, two separate management companies, and they offer private rentals, some shared ownership, probably some vacation rentals and things like that. Um, and so that one seems to have worked out really, really well. And then Beijing, which was the one prior to that in 2008, similar, they had a 163-acre complex. Um, apartments were built specifically for the game and had 9,000 rooms and 42 buildings. I mean, that's huge. That's a huge undertaking, right? Um, after the games, the Athletes' Village which used uh, geothermal energy and solar panel panels were sold as high-end condos. So they've had pretty good success there as well. Of course, the housing market in China is booming, so there's a difference. So some, some good experiences. And then Athens was 2004. Okay, I'm waiting for the one that, I don't know, is like one of those like long-lost amusement parks that... Athens, 2004. Okay. Look at the pictures. I didn't, I didn't print a picture out here to show you, but it's pretty disturbing. The Rio Olympic Village wasn't the only one that wasn't quite ready for athletes. Um, the paint was still drying as athletes moved into their accommodations for the 2004 Athens Summer Olympics. With an estimated cost of $10 billion, uh, because, you know, the Athens Olympics, that was like one of the big, you know, it was Athens coming home to the original side of the Olympics and all that good stuff. Um that uh, the the country struggles through the six-year economic depression, they couldn't afford to finish out and kind of go to the next step because when you build these big Olympic villages, that's just step one. And then step two is converting it and getting it sold and developing the infrastructure and putting schools in and things like that. And they just haven't had the funds to do that. And so the pictures that are online um, – they're, they show like a swimming pool with Olympic rings in it, but it's been all covered with graffiti. Karen just pulled it up on her phone and she's gasping. That's so sad. I yeah. mean, it's sad to see that. Yeah. Many of the apartments in the complex remain empty. The promise of schools and infrastructure never came as the municipalities um, in the area ran out of money. So, And that was supposed to be a low-income housing complex, which I'm sure is sorely needed. So I thought that was kind of interesting. A little bit more of my research showed, kind of led me to believe that in the uh, Olympic villages built for Winter Olympics tend to survive a little bit better because I think they end up turning into tourist um, venues. That Winter Olympics are more winter resort types of places, whereas Summer Olympics tend to be in cities. Um, but then that made me think, like, what, what about an Olympic village from, you know, 50 years ago? And so I started doing some Googling. That's how I spent my afternoon. And uh, the original first, very first Olympic village was 1960, Squaw Valley Winter Olympics. It was in Lake Tahoe. Okay. I was like, I don't even know where that is. Well, 
it's an interesting story because there's a coincidence that has nothing to do with housing. But my mother, actually, this is why I was waiting for her to text me to confirm because I have the story in my head from when I was a young child. But she actually performed in the opening ceremonies of the Winter Olympics in Squaw Valley in oh, 1960. She? she was in a choir. Um, I'm going to say it was high school, probably her high school. She grew up in the Tahoe area. Um, and so... I was trying to Google and pull all the pieces together because she's not responding to my text messages. Not that I'm angry about that or anything. But my point was that, uh, and she met Richard Nixon. He spoke to her, told her she needed to put a sweater on because it was cold. (laughs) This is the story I remember from my childhood um, because he was the vice president at the time in 1960. And so he was sort of the host of the opening ceremonies on behalf of the United States. Maybe that's what that was the caller that was on hold. Was Richard Nixon? No, with oh, my your mom. mom. Right for the show story. Yes. I was like, because Richard Nixon said, that probably what is what it is. That probably was my mom calling in. Sorry, mom. Um, but anyways, that was the first Olympic village prior to 1960. Uh, Olympians were typically uh, either stayed in hotels or were hosted with families. Um, and, uh, and then in Squaw Valley, it was a little controversial that they picked that location because they didn't have a lot of infrastructure in place. They had to do an enormous amount of building. It was one of the first sites where they had to come in and do all of this mm-hmm. improvement. And so they decided to build uh, uh, four buildings uh, to house, I think it was something like 8,000, no, eight. I can't remember now, um, athletes. I have it in my notes. I did write it down. Uh, I don't see it here. Um, and another little interesting tidbit. And so they turn all those into timeshares, I think, is what they are now. So they're still standing, so that seemed to work well, too. So completely vague, um, uh, unrelated note on that having to do with the infrastructure. They had to do so much building in Squaw Valley, and, you know, it was tough to make sure you are using your resources wisely, you spending your money wisely that they did a little return on investment, which we're actually going to talk about today as we talk about rental properties, return on investment, and decided that the there was one event that they probably weren't going to get a good return back on building the infrastructure needed to run that event. So they decided for that year they just weren't going to do it. Any guesses? No. The Jamaicans no. will be disappointed. Oh, like the bobsled? The bobsled. There was the bobsled. no bobsled in 1960. Because they just said, return on investment's not going to be there, so we're just not going to do it. Those poor Olympians. I know. Anyways, we're going to talk about return on investment and rental properties, getting into the investment game. Uh, probably end up being a two-part series, so stick with us. When we come back from break, we're going to interview Rachel, who happens to own her very first property, was a rental property, and we're going to talk to her about that. Uh, I think it's going to be a real interesting conversation. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a couple. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. 
you count. Tune into Inner Revolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. You've heard of good things coming in packages. Well, maybe there's a little more to that saying. But when you think about it, packaging is one of the most important things that can represent your business. Tune into Ditch the Box with host David Marinak. Each week, we'll discuss flexible packaging, marketing, sales, and how it all comes together in one container. Lower costs, increased margins. Listen to the show. It might just save you a ton. Ditch the Box is heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hey, what do you say we talk about real estate? This is Deb Tomorrow. I am your host of Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. We've been talking about the Olympics. I got a little off track, but, you know, I'm caught up in the Olympic spirit. And I am uh, turning the the tables a little bit, and we are joined in this segment instead of by the usual lovely Karen Rastel, who is observing from the sidelines and looking at closing disclosures probably on her phone. I am joined by Rachel, my lovely associate producer. Say hello. Hello, listeners. Excellent. Now you can have a better radio voice than I have. Okay. All right. I'll work on that. So we're here to tell you we're going to talk about rentals. It's something that I get a lot of questions about and have sort of hesitated to get into. Um, But I think it's an important topic and I want to cover it. And I think we're going to probably do two shows on it. Today, we're going to talk a little bit more of a high level um, things to think about if you want to get into rentals, kind of the pros and cons and that sort of thing. And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the down and dirty. Um, how do you do this and how do you do that? Um, so that's sort of the, the plan. Now, let me back up and say I own rental properties, so I, I do have a little bit of a basis of knowledge. Um, and it's funny. Um, I was talking to a friend yesterday and I said, oh, my show tomorrow is going to be about rental properties. And she said, oh, are you for or against them? (laughs) (laughs) Like it's some hot political topic and I have to either be for or against them. I was like, well, I have like 25, so I guess I'm for them. But you have to kind of approach it in an intelligent way. So, but that kind of made me think too. It's like, well, how did you become a landlord? Because people always ask you that. Do you know, is it by plan? A lot of people, it's by default. Mm -hmm. They have a house they couldn't sell, so they end up renting it out, something like that. Um, I think we more became landlords on accidental purpose. Um, (laughs) Looking at me like I'm crazy. That's a thing. Sure. Okay. It can be. Um, So, yours had two. 
when I came to Bloomington, he lived in a duplex, mm-hmm. much like you did, Rachel, or you do. Um, and so he rented out one side and he lived on one side. And then he also had a home uh, that he had lived in and, and raised his son in and uh, and just had held on to that as a rental because um, it just seemed like the thing to do. And then as I got into real estate, more opportunities sort of fell into our laps and we're like, oh, let's buy that. Hey, let's, there's a good deal. And so we just sort of went from there. And then a few years into it, we're like, well, this is a pretty good retirement plan, mm-hmm. being self-employed and not having 401k and pension and things like that. So right now um, we are at uh, almost 25 units. They're in kind of various stages of rehab and remodel and occupancy. Um, most are single family homes. We do own a couple of small small apartment buildings. Um, you know, in this town, everybody talks about student rentals because we're a college town. And that's not really the bulk of what we do. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about sort of business models. Um, but, you know, like I said, as someone who is self-employed with no pension or no, no, no 401k, it's a good retirement plan for us. Um, I will say, and this is sort of my theme for today's show, we have a strategy, we have goals. And I think that's really important. Um, and for me... You know, I have other investments. We've diversified a little bit. You know, I've got some IRAs and things like that that have carried over. But real estate is something I understand a little bit better. I don't really understand what makes the market, you know, why why that whole Brexit thing make the market do what it did. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you. But real estate, I understand. So I think it's a bigger part of my portfolio. We are probably more leveraged in real estate than the average person should be. But because we're absorbed in it, um, we kind of live it and breathe it every second of the day. I think there's a difference. Um, and the costs are a little bit different because of that synergy as well. Um, I, I was having a conversation with my friendly neighborhood locksmith, where you spend a lot of time when you're a landlord. Uh, and he was saying that a friend of his was trying to get him into rental properties, and he just couldn't couldn't understand it, couldn't do it. The numbers just didn't make sense to him because, you know, if the furnace goes out, you got to feed it. Sometimes you have to feed it from your own pocket. And I said, well, you know, for me, that's just like putting money into an IRA. That's kind of how I look at it. And he was like, oh, well, that kind of makes sense. But then that leads you to the whole, why are you doing it in the first place? And we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to talk specifically with Rachel because your first home Mm -hmm. was a duplex, right? That's right. So did you set out... When you said, I'm going to buy a house, did you set out to say, I'm going to buy an investment property? Did one of those property brothers get a hold of you? And no, no property brothers. So tell me your story. A very persuasive mother and real estate agent. Oh, interesting. Um, I was 22, scared to death, but I had a, a good, a decent job. You know, I had a job. I was finally getting like a steady paycheck. And instead of throwing money away on rent, as most people think when they get to that age, okay, it's time. And so, you know, my mom and my realtor had encouraged me to find um, a property that was a duplex at least so that I could live in one side and rent in the other uh, or rent out the other. And it took, I think I started looking in like May. Yeah. Um, It was... I, I I got into my file knowing I was going to be talking to you about this day. I got yeah. into my file and it was like we started in like April or May and I think it was November. Oh my gosh. By the time I looked, found, yeah. sent in a million, you know, counter offers and, and I mean we went back and forth with the sellers and went through the financing and went through everything. It took so long because everybody in this town is looking for investment, investment property. property. Yeah. And, you know, I was a single person just looking for 
a small place for myself and maybe a roommate and then another unit attached so that I could rent it out. So it was my intention when I set out to find my first house. And you probably found that housing prices in Bloomington because of the university were pretty high. So your budget was probably pretty modest compared to what a normal investor would be able to achieve. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I was... I w- was making decent money at the time, right. but I was still 22 years old. I had right. no, no savings, right. nothing, you know, nothing's no no nest egg saved up, so to speak. When did when in? So how long ago was 2002. this? 2002. 2002. Mm-hmm. So if we do the math, we can figure out how old you were. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you've been in it now almost 14, 15 years. It's as crazy as that sounds. It is true. Yes. <gasps> Yeah. When you bought it, were there tenants in it? No. It was completely empty. It was almost unlivable. Really? It was, here's my first one, shit den. It was a shit den. (laughs) It was, you know, it had, it's a hundred year old house. It had been a rental for 30 years. And, and the previous owner's, um, way of dealing with everything was just to cover it up. Mm -hmm. So put another layer of paneling on it Mm -hmm. or put another layer of wallpaper on it or put carpet over, put another layer of linoleum over it, just cover it up. Mm -hmm. And one side um, was, was fairly livable. So I lived in one side while remodeling the other once I finally got in. But no, there were no tenants. So where did you come up with the money for the remodel? Because you know that, have you ever watched that show? What's it called? Income? Income property. property, You probably can't. Those of you (laughs) listening to us can't hear Karen. She's joining in the conversation. Income property. property. And and that was one of the, I was doing some Googling about, you know, income property in the TV show. And one of the people are on these message boards complaining, like, how do they pay for this? Their numbers don't work, that kind of thing. So how did you? Well, here's the thing about being young and broke is you have usually a lot of all friends that are also young and broke. And so and highly skilled. And, and <laughs> one laid carpet. Okay. You know, my stepdad um, was a general contractor for many years. I came up as a as an interior painter. I could also do some drywall, drywall repair um, and just other kind of basic home maintenance. Mm-hmm. So if it comes to tear out, almost anybody can do sure. tear out. Right. You can get any guy off the street to right. tear out. You, you know, my friends buying beer and food, right. and they were fine. I mean, I think about it now. There is no way I could do something like that now. Yeah. No way. It was like... Because the, you know too much? I, like, I, age well, <laughs> comes fear? Age comes fear, yes. And I don't have nearly enough friends no. that don't have full-time jobs. <laughs> oh, right. I mean, right. a lot of my friends were either in school or half-employed. You know, a lot of us had just moved to Bloomington. Yeah. So we weren't... You know, nobody had kids yet. We were in our early 20s. We were all just floating free. Okay. So, and it's interesting that you had to do some rehab to get something rentable because I do think that is it's the case with us, mm-hmm. with a lot of our rental properties. And if you look, 25 units, I have half of them rented. And the other half are in various stages because we buy them because you get wide-eyed and think, oh, here's a deal. Yeah. It's a deal. Yeah. The numbers look great, you uh-huh. know, and then you're like, oh, crap, I need to do this <laughs> and I need to do that. Um, so how long did it take you to get the other unit habitable? Um, well. And it, no judgment. Yeah, it took us about between six and eight months. Okay, that's not bad. Now, I was really lucky because a relative had had a house fire. And gotten rid of all They weren't their, lucky. They weren't lucky. But you were. I was. <laughs> they had gotten rid of all of their kitchen cabinets. And most of the cabinets were fine. So they were like, do you want these? I'm like, sure. Yeah. So, you know, it was really, again, stars were aligned. Right. You know, there is no way I could do anything like that right, right now. Just 
things kind of kept right. coming. Right. So then when it was time to find a tenant, how did you go about finding the tenant? Well, lucky for me, while I was rehabbing, I had a friend who had moved to Las Vegas call me from a bus stop crying on New Year's Eve saying, I want to come home. Can I please come home? And not lucky for her, not but lucky, lucky for you. Not lucky so for So basically him. the yeah. moral of the story is that Rachel is profiting <laughs> off of everybody else's misery, and that's how she made this thing work. Hey, I'm, just, I'm just here to save, your, save yeah, you. you know? Take advantage I'm of opportunities. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I said, sure, you know, we're rehabbing, but you can come and stay with us. So it was myself and a roommate living on this one side mm-hmm. of the house. Mm-hmm. So he moved back. We shared a room for a couple of weeks until things were ready because yeah. it was right at the end of the rehab. And as soon as I moved out, I mean, he was already there. Yeah. And, you know, what's funny is he ended up living there for like six years. Oh, wow. And they say don't rent to friends. Well, and that was going to be and one of my questions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. we'll get to well, that. Well, no, we can get to it now. <laughs> well, he lived there with, with various roommates mm-hmm. um, over the years. And, you know, he's worked for me. I've worked for him. He's been my roommate. We, you know, we moved to Bloomington together originally. Mm-hmm. We've had every type of relationship you can imagine, um, except for a romantic okay. one. <laughs> so, duly noted. <laughs> duly noted. Um, so, you know, I felt comfortable with him, and I knew that I could say, in your lease, it says you owe me $5 a day for every day you're late. Yeah. And you sure as hell, when that right. happened, I was keeping a, keeping yeah. a tally. And he paid me back okay. every penny. Yeah. Okay. That's so, good. That's good. Um, so let's see. So that was how you found your first tenant, and he mm-hmm. was with you for six for like years five or, or so. six years. Yeah. Um, it was the the unit did sit empty for a few years, um, and then I had a friend get out of the military and need a place to go, and so she moved in. Mm-hmm. She was there for a couple years. It was empty another year. And then, you know, it was, again, somebody's bad luck. Somebody yeah. called me and said, I hate my apartment and I can't deal with my landlord. Do you have any ideas? Yeah. And you're like, well. I thought, well, you know, the last person that called me about um, running Jorinth's place asked me what kind of criminal background check I did. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm a single woman right. living by myself. Like, right. I don't feel comfortable with right. that as a, you know. Right. When they ask that question, question straight up. Yeah. 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 Again. yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that when we come back from break. We'll continue our conversation with Rachel. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, 
and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working For You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com That's Deb at RealRealEstateToday.com Now, back to this week's program. All right. Thanks for coming back. We are back on the horse this week talking about real estate after an encore show last week. Um, and uh, we are talking with Rachel, who's the associate producer. So you may see that the Facebook uh, page is not being updated because usually she does that during the show. So she will come back with a flurry of activity, I'm sure, mm-hmm. afterwards. Uh, but she is talking to us about her investment property and her first home purchase uh, that she bought a duplex and lived in one side and has been renting out the other side for 15 years or so, a very long time. Over break, she was just recounting. Uh, so tell us that story again, because you kept <laughs> saying I was 22. I had no business buying an investment property. I was scared out of my mind and as I said the the property was not in in the best shape but it had been a rental for a long time and the current owners um, were really pushing back on a lot of my requests Um, you know I I was green but I wasn't an idiot and I knew you know that they needed to take all the trash out of the basement Mm -hmm. you know things like that would be helpful right Um, so we went back and forth, counter offer after counter offer. You know, I would send one, they would send one. And one day my realtor just says, we're going to get through this today. And so I'm at work and I'm on the phone and she's on, she's on their phone. You know, they're, everybody's on the phone and I'm telling her what I'll take and what I won't. And during the entire conversation, I'm just absentmindedly scratching my leg. And by the time I got off this conversation, my leg was bloody. I was just a wreck. I was so nervous thinking, you know, because I'm 22. I don't know. I'm thinking, I'm just looking at this as like, I am about to take on like $70,000 worth of debt. Right. Now, when I think about that now and what I have, (laughs) that's what I I laugh at myself. I'm like, oh, how silly and naive were you? Because it's really, it was a good thing for me at the time, but I was mortified. Yeah. 22, just right. terrified. So what, 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 what's the good that's come from it? The good that's come from it, um, well, in 2006, I believe it was, I was um, laid off from my job. And because I had a unit that I could rent that basically covered my mortgage payment, I did not have that big of a struggle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a struggle, but it wasn't the end of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I could cover my mortgage payment, and as long as I hustled, yeah. I was going to be okay. And there's been a, a, you know, when I, 
that happened again in like 2015 uh-huh. and it was all okay. You know, right. I knew that my mortgage was going to be paid and my house wasn't going to get taken from me. Right. So. No, it sounds like you've always rented to people that you know. Yep. Um, which, you know, like we said, there certainly are pros and cons to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try to avoid it, but mm-hmm. um, it's a little bit different situation when you're in a duplex and you're living on one side. And that's the one thing I always think of when I'm watching that income property TV show on HGTV where he's encouraging people to either buy houses or finish off a portion of their house mm-hmm. is income property. Because I always think, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-mm. I don't want to have that close of a relationship with my tenants. I don't want it to be awkward if I have to go out to my car and get something right. because they're behind on their rent. <laughs> exactly. Have you been in situations like that? Well, awkward situation that the one thing that springs to mind is, is at one point we were all so comfortable with each other. There was like an open door policy. Mm. And so doors were open, cats were free, you know, everybody was just coming in yeah. and out. And one day I went to use the restroom and forgot to close the bathroom door. And <laughs> my tenant came around the corner. We both went, ah, and slammed the door. Whoops. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that is a little extreme, yeah. obviously. These right. are very, these are people I was very good friends with at the time. Um, I have been really lucky that I don't believe um, I've had to experience anything really awkward in terms of money. I mean, my friend that I said, you mm-hmm. know, we had been in all sorts of relationships and he knew and I held him to it. And I was like, yeah. you're my bitch for the summer. Right. <laughs> and he did. He mowed the lawn. He, yeah. you know, pressure washed the house. It right. was like anything I needed, he did. And he still paid the money back. But, you know, you again, it's a totally different situation. And I would have never gone into that situation with somebody that I didn't fully trust. Right. I mean, again, I'm sharing a wall with somebody. Right. I need to know. Right. You know. Which I think will be a good topic. Uh, I need to make note of that for next week's show is how do you vet tenants, right. you know, whether they share a wall with you or not, mm-hmm. you know, making sure that you have a decent tenant who, you know, isn't going to pull out an axe and come after you in the middle of the night, yeah. something like that, for yeah. sure. So uh, as we wrap up with uh, with you on this, what's your worst story? I've thought about this since yesterday, and I think maybe um, being on vacation in North Carolina and getting a phone call that from my tenant saying, we smelled smoke and the electric company turned off the power and we don't know what to do. And, and somewhere in my vacation photos, there's a picture of me in a hotel room on the phone with my head <laughs> in my hands, okay. talking to my tenant going, what? Right. You know, um, and we were, again, kind of lucky in that we just, we knew somebody we trusted. And yeah. this goes to, you know, to the point of having service people that you yep. know and trust and have established relationships with. I was like, can you get over there and look at it? They had the power back on that day. You know, it wasn't yeah. that big of a deal. But, you know, you're in the middle of the mountains of North Carolina and you're thinking, did my house just almost burn right. down? Right. Yeah, it's uh, next week's show. We're going to talk about like Deb's 10 golden rules. And one of them is it takes a village. It really That does. is the key to be able to have rental properties and not have it push you over the edge. Yeah. Because when I started out with rental properties, I did not have that village developed. And so every little maintenance call was like, oh, crap, who am I going to call? And are they going to give me the time of day? Maybe they're too busy, whatever. And you just don't have that established relationship. And having that village has made all the difference in the world. So awesome. Well, thank you for sharing your story. If anybody has any questions for Rachel (laughs) and her story or wants to, you know, 
bounce ideas off her um, in terms of her experience, um, feel free to contact her on my Facebook page. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and she'll be happy to answer those questions. So we're going to switch you guys back now because now I want to talk about finances um, and financing the properties a little bit before we wrap up the show in our last segment. So, uh, Karen, I know she's been working because there's no rest for the weary. So I want to talk about financing rental properties because it's a little bit different. And I think a lot of people go into it thinking that uh, I was able to buy a house. I get this a lot. Karen, do you ever have anyone that walks to your office and they go, I should be able to get finance for a house because I just bought a car. Yes. Yeah. Or I just got my Kohl's credit card by Jan yeah. or, or something like right, that. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I think it's the same philosophy that people say, oh, yeah, well, I shouldn't have any problem buying a rental property because I just bought a house or I have a house. I have a mortgage. I've always paid my mortgage on time. So it should be totally fine. Um, so what say you? Well, and the other thing I was going to throw out there, too, and we may have touched on this at a, on another show, but um, they want to use the rental income because they have yeah. a tenant already, you know, lined up. Right. So it's really a wash. It shouldn't be a factor. Right. Exactly. Um, so here, the, let's just start to go down this. Um, and uh, so one first thing you need to know is that financing a rental property, investment property is different than buying a regular home. You're going to have different standards that you have to meet. You're going to have different down payment requirements. Uh, and, and so we're going to go over all of that. Um, so in terms of down payment, yeah, so a lot of people are buying homes with no money down or 3 4 5% down. What's the, what's the investment property situation look like? If you're buying an investment property and um, it's a one unit, not like a duplex like Rachel was just talking about, um, Fannie Mae requires at least 15% down. Okay. So with that being said, then you'll have PMI, private mm-hmm. mortgage insurance. So then you have to make sure that there are private mortgage insurance companies out there that will allow or that will insure an investment property. Okay. Uh, there are some out there, but if there isn't, then you're looking at, okay, borrower, you need to put down possibly 20% down okay. because we can't get MI. Okay, so here's a little refresher for private mortgage insurance. For those of you who aren't familiar with what that is, this is how I explain it to people, which is the non-lender way of explaining it. Lenders don't trust you. So anytime you put less than 20% down on a house, you have to take out an insurance policy that says if the lender gets the house back due to foreclosure and they lose money because they don't have enough equity in it to that they have to sell it at a loss, then this insurance policy makes up some of their losses. Kind of a layman's way of explaining it, but yeah. I don't know what the I, yeah I don't know what the lender's way of saying it it is. But they just I always, say it's PMI. Well, you no, I tell, <laughs> I tell my borrowers that this is a I go think of it as a insurance policy that you are paying every mm-hmm. month, yeah, where every your month. beneficiary right. is your lender. And you're talking about I would assume that an insurance policy on this is going to be somewhere. I mean, it depends on the purchase price of the home, but it could add. $100, a month to your payment. Exactly. I mean, right. It, it uh, PMI factors in credit score as well, just like an interest rate would on a, on a mortgage. They're looking at credit score, down payment, loan to value, all of those okay. things. So it's not just, you know, 15 bucks. It's a number that you need to take into account when you are running your numbers and figuring out if the mortgage makes sense. So 15% would be the least amount on a single family investment property. Um, but anything else is pretty much 20%. 
Um, 25. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you, like with Rachel's, I was kind of going through my charts here. Um, Fannie Mae, you know, they're look. if it was a duplex and you wanted to purchase it as a true investment, not where you're going to mm-hmm. live in one mm-hmm. side, that is a down payment requirement of 25%. Okay. But if you were going to live in it, then, if you're living in one side, um, then you would be looking at a 15% down payment. But you, versus could a, you potentially do an FHA loan? On a duplex? Uh-huh. I've never done one. Uh, I'm not 100% sure, uh-huh. but that might be tough. My gut says it might be tough to try yeah. to do. Okay. But because the first-time homebuyer programs, like, or the, you know, the programs that are designed to encourage home ownership are not designed to encourage Investing, they're designed to encourage home ownership, sure. like an FHA program. Okay. So that's what you need to know about down payment. 15% if you're lucky, but probably more like 25% is what you need to plan for. Um, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about reserves and debt-to-income ratio and some of those other things, but I think we'll go ahead and throw it to a break now. You're listening to Real Real Estate Today, your home for smart real estate. Stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you interested in buying or selling a home? Not sure what the next step is? Deb can help. Go to realrealestatetoday.com and click on Start Here. You'll be asked a few simple questions and Deb will personally contact you to help answer your real estate questions and connect you with a realtor in her personal nationwide network of realtors. So even if you aren't in Deb's service area, you're guaranteed to find a good match wherever you are. Visit realrealestatetoday.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Real Real Estate Today. To reach Deb tomorrow or with questions and comments about the show, please send an email to Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. That's Deb at realrealestatetoday.com. Now, back to this week's program. All right, we are back talking rental properties. High-level overview today 
Um, we listened to um, uh, Rachel's story about purchasing investment property as her first home. And we're talking a little bit about financing today. And the next week, we're going to talk about the down and dirty, which you need to know specifically um, uh, on, in terms of that. But we're talking with Karen now, best damn lender in the state of Indiana. Uh, we just talked about down payment. Let's talk about um, reserves. So reserves are uh, liquid assets that an underwriter is going to say, hey, I know you want to buy this property as an investment property, whether you have a history of owning Mm -hmm. investment property or not. Mm -hmm. um, The investor guidelines require a certain number, amount of liquid reserves that are equal to a full mortgage payment. So that's principal interest, uh, property taxes, homeowners insurance, and private mortgage insurance if that is applicable. However, those... Those reserve requirements are determined by your findings. And so when a lender says findings, that is, I know we talked about it a couple of weeks ago privately that you said, how do they come up with that mm-hmm. acronym that doesn't go with anything? Yeah. So a lender is going to input the information. And if they're going a Fannie Mae product or a Freddie Mac product, those automated underwriting systems are called something different. Those findings that we receive back from them say what we need in reserves. Typically, on an investment purchase, you may see that the buyer needs to have six months of uh, reserves for the subject property and an additional two months reserves on any other property that they may own. Okay. So... So, because I've had them come back on me at times, and it perhaps is because the number of properties I have and say they need six months on everything, every property that I own, including my primary residence. Your primary should not factor into that. Okay. However, um, I don't know the five to 10 finance properties yeah. that Fannie Mae, that's the one that you would fall under. Right. Um, but they may require, it, it, like I said, it may whatever those findings come back is what we tell the buyer. Okay, we need to have six months of reserves mm-hmm. or two months of mm-hmm. reserves. So this is where I've seen a lot of people run into stumbling blocks because they'll come to me. They'll say, "I want to buy a new house. I don't want to sell my current house because I just want to keep it as a rental." And maybe their debt to income can carry both mortgages. But the lender comes back and says, but you have to have enough reserves, meaning you have to have enough liquid money that you have access to that's equivalent to the mortgage payment, taxes, insurance, all that uh, for a certain number of months, you know, based on your lending profile. Freddie Mac would say if you're, and this is primary residence, Mm -hmm. Freddie Mac would say if you are buying a new home but keeping your existing one or it's not being sold, it's six months on each home. On each home. If it's a Fannie Mae or... FHA, uh, or I should say Fannie Mae, then mm-hmm. it's going to go off of what the findings okay. say. So that's, a, like I said, that's a big stumbling block because a lot of people will say, well, but I'm using my savings or whatever cash I have set aside for the down payment on my new home. And so I don't have a lot of extra sitting around, um, which then brings in two questions. But one, real quick, because I always talk about this, can reserves be retirement money set aside? If you can have access to them, I mean, we've used reserves, we've used retirement accounts, but you have to have the entire plan um, that explains how you withdraw your funds. Um, let's say your retirement has $100,000 
That's the balance. That's not what lenders are using mm. because if you are taxed on taking mm-hmm. that out, that type of thing. So certain programs say you can count yeah. 60% of that or 70%. Okay. But So by liquid, I know sometimes, too, I've just used mutual funds and things like that that I've had that maybe aren't in a retirement plan but aren't necessarily liquid in the sense of I go to the bank and write a check, but they could be liquidated pretty easily. Um, but in terms of 401ks and things like that, it's really plan specific. So you'd have to get your plan information to your lender to take a look over that to be able to see exactly. if that's what they have to use. So then the second question that comes up, and I had this happen a few years ago, it's probably been eight years ago now, to a young couple who I felt so bad for because they went into purchasing their first home with a strategy. And I was proud of them for that. I always love when people have a strategy. Their strategy was, we're going to buy a townhouse. It's going to be in a really good location. We're in a college town. And then we're going to live in it for a few years. And then we're going to be ready to move up to our next home. We're going to rent out the townhouse uh, and move into our next home and start to kind of, you know, build some equity that way. In addition to, you know, our jobs and, and our 401ks and things like that. Um, however, in the time period between when they bought their townhome and when they decided to put step two into action, the market changed quite a bit. And they really started to um, pull back on, uh, on on the rentals. And what they came up against was they had to be able to carry the debt for both properties, even though they fully intended to rent it. Even if they had a lease in place, they could not count that rental income as income to offset the mortgage that they had until they had that rental income on their tax return for two years. Correct. Is that right? That is right. So a lot of people run into that stumbling block too. And I've seen it even if there's a lease in place. Even if there's a lease in place. Yes. You cannot count rental income until it shows on your tax return. It's got to show on your tax return, too. Uh, Because a lot of people just kind of, they have one rental property. They just kind of go with it. Yeah. I'm just saying. Um, But it's got to show on your tax return. It doesn't happen. It doesn't exist if it's not on your tax return. Yeah. I mean, in order for it to be counted as qualified income, it's no different if someone has a full-time job. But they go out and get a, a part-time job to kind of, because mm-hmm. they need a little bit of extra income. Yeah. And they go, okay, here we go. I have a part-time job. I'm going to work 10 hours at, right. at you know, Buffaloes or right. wherever. And, well, same thing with that. The part-time income, you have to have a history of yeah. part you know, supplemental right. income right. like that. So. I always tell people that the, the lenders want to see that you have a track record of being a fairly successful landlord. To be able to count that as you know, steady income. Lenders want to make decisions based on what the norm is, um, not, you know, on a one-time occurrence kind of thing. So that that was a stumbling block. They ended up having to sell the townhouse and, uh, and to buy their next home and just sort of regroup with their plan. Um, now, you alluded to this before, but uh, as people are really getting into the investment property, and I know Dave Ramsey says you got to pay cash for them. Uh, I get that. I hear that. Um, so, Dave, I'm sorry for this next segment here. But uh, if you get more than four mortgages, then what? Then you need to find a lender. If you have four financed properties, which includes your primary residence, um, you have to find a lender who can, who also can do Fannie Mae loans. Mm-hmm. And Fannie Mae has, um, they may have renamed it, but it's... Um, they do a program if someone has five to ten mm-hmm. finance properties, they can mm-hmm. still offer a residential mortgage 
on a 30-year fixed rate. Mm-hmm. Any more than 10 properties, then you're looking at this is kind of a business. Mm-hmm. This is what you do. Okay. Um, and at that point, you're looking at going to a commercial lender with okay. you know, a bank or credit union. For some reason, I have it stuck in my head that if you have more than four properties, your credit score requirement is stricter. Is that true? Did I dream that? Make it that may be on the on the five to ten five to ten finance properties. Because, mm-hmm. like for example, someone could have twenty five properties and only three of them have mortgages, mortgages on. Right. Um, but it, I mean, it could be a little bit higher. They may want someone with a higher credit score. I feel like to someone wants told me seven twenty. That could very well could be. be. Yeah. So what's your what's your credit score? Sorry, I'm not mean to put you on the spot because mm-hmm. as you were talking, I was like, damn, this girl knows a lot. Oh, I got a lot of information in there. This is pretty impressive. But um, so credit score minimum for just a regular investment property. I'm going to buy my first. I've got 25% they go, to put down. They go, like our company, we can look at as low as a 620. Okay. That doesn't mean, I mean, there's other restrictions. Sure. But yeah, you can look at a 620 and that's on a primary residence or an investment property. Okay. So that part's normal, but as you get more mortgages, and again, that's where having a strategy from the start um, I think makes a big difference. I don't know how much you know about commercial financing. Um, I think you're married to someone who knows a lot about commercial yeah, financing. I mean, he does. I, he does. I know a, and a I, little. I can uh, speak to it a little bit more from my personal uh, experience. So we're going to add that into our uh, on our agenda next week as we talk more about rental properties. Because as I thought, this is going to go a lot longer than uh, just one show. Next week we're going to talk about um, numbers and what does it mean to I want to run a property that makes the numbers work so if you've got questions log on to my Facebook page um, we uh, will take questions I know that the, some people posted some questions there today and we're going to take a look at those and make sure that we get all those answered next week um, and if you've got questions you can also message me there or email me as well thank you so much for tuning in this week we will be back next week with more great information you are listening to Real Real Estate Today your home for smart real estate we will be back next week. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to Real Real Estate Today. Please join your host, Deb, tomorrow for another edition every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until next week, take care of your home. It's one of your most important assets. 